Hey Playwright, I'm Tori Rice. And I'm Mabel Reynoso. And welcome to Hey Playwright, a podcast about playwriting and life. Hey Mabel. Hey Tori. I was wondering, can you think back um, to the first time that you experienced a production, like a play at your school? Or did that happen? At my school? Or how did you experience uh, theater as a youth? Or did so you? So here's, here's a funny story. I always thought that the first time that I experienced theater was when I went on the, what we called the East Coast trip in eighth grade at my high, at my junior high. It was a junior high back then. It is now in middle school. It was the big deal to go on the, the East Coast trip. We went to New York City. What I remembered as my first theatrical experience was falling asleep at the Broadway production of Les Miserables, which if you know me today might find that incredibly ironic because of how I feel about Les Miserables today and how I force my children to sing one day more. <laughs> However, <laughs> back then I was like 13, I think, and uh, and I just wasn't feeling it. Didn't didn't couldn't find my way in. But recently I was having a conversation with somebody and they talked about how their first entry into theater was through church performances and it made me think like holy spumoni. That, that that was the same with me actually I was in preschool and I think it's because of my skin color and my hair color I was one of the not blonde blue-eyed children in my class <laughs> and I think for optics they chose the dark-haired child to play Mary so that was my first gig was was you play Mary Ma I was Mary and <gasps> you know what my sister was also Mary. My older sister Ooh. was Mary the year before. But I was Mary. That was my first gig. It was a coveted role. I was engaged to the guy who was who was going to play Joseph. His name was Dennis. Um, we had we had we had it Wait. all planned out. Yes. Oh, Actually, engaged. I, I was in kindergarten. <laughs> I was in kindergarten. It wasn't preschool. I was in kindergarten. Yeah, we were engaged. It didn't work out, obviously. Well, yeah. Um, but uh, but yes, Poor that Dennis. was. I know. I don't think he liked me that much. I I may have been the one to propose, and I think I remember <gasps> saying like, "So we're gonna get married, right?" And he was just like, "Yeah," but I don't think he was really into it. Mm. I think he was just like, "Okay, well, I'm Joseph. You're Mary. Obviously, it works. Like, we have to do this. Like, it was an arranged marriage for him. Oh I was in gosh. love. I was in love. But anyway, yes. that was my first. Yeah, but experience. where's Dennis today? He, he probably probably Dennis? very happily married with the with his true love as i am too i'm happily married with my true love there you go so um that was my first experience and then there were other additional experiences i did go to catholic school did you know that about me tori that i i, was a catholic I did girl? not yeah shocker wow shocker. And I won the religion award in sixth grade, which meant what? that I was very good at quoting Bible verses. <gasps> yes, I know. I know. Yeah. Crazy do you remember there. any of them? No, but I do remember my first. I feel like it was my first speech when I recited Psalms 23 at a Mother's Day celebration in kindergarten like a lot happened for me in kindergarten i, I booked yeah. a lot of gigs i booked a lot of gigs i was you were, you were i was a working actor man. but i totally forgot about that because at some point 
I kind of shed that exoskeleton and uh, chooses to tell people this lie that it was Les Mis that was my first theatrical experience. Not true. So how about you, wow. Tori? Oh, your... my gosh. What Sorry, I'm story? still, I'm no. still <laughs> imagining you in Catholic school. All right. All right. Yeah. The, the first theater experience I remember is in preschool and being in a production of Snow White and I really wanted the role of Snow White, but instead I got the role of Animal of the Forest. And I'm not even sure how we came into this costume. I still have, I have a picture of it. Oh my gosh, I should dig it out and we should put it up on the website. Um, yeah, so so I was a, I know I was not, Animal. I was pissed. <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't even have a specific it was just like a generic animal. Yes, of the animal of the forest. And and so I was a squirrel, and I'm not even sure how that happened, how we came about, like, got that costume. I don't know if my mom made it or who knows. I, I, I'm just having a feeling that it was it, it, somebody must have had that costume, and that's how I became a squirrel. I don't think I was designated as a squirrel. Do you know what I mean? It was... Animal of the forest. I need to ask my mom about that because I don't, I don't, uh, I don't remember. But yeah, I, I, I don't think I had any lines. I think we just had to follow Snow White around, and then when she was dead, air quotes, we had to, you know, be very sad. But <laughs> was yeah. it hard for you to be an animal of the forest to get in character as a sad well, animal? Of only the forest? because I wanted the part of Snow White. <laughs> so you, so actually, it was easy because you were already sad, or were you like? hating on Snow White and being like, yeah. I'm glad you're dead. <laughs> I don't think I was that vindictive. I did my role. I just, you know, as with many things, I just went, well, I'll show them. I'll be the best animal <laughs> of the forest ever. <laughs> I love it. So that's what I remember. And then I do remember in junior high writing a lot. Even actually, even in grade school, I wrote I didn't understand quite what I was doing, but and making tapes with friends, like we did fake radio plays and stuff. So I was always, I was always, hey, like let's make a play. Show business <laughs> was <perform>. already, <laughs> yeah. Show business was let's alive write and something. well. Yeah, nice. yeah. Um, but it's interesting thinking back to th that's the first theatrical experience I remember. But thinking back to, uh, like, theater in junior high, I don't remember. I don't remember. It was in high school when I really got heavy and deep into it, you know. So, yeah, and then it just, it, it went from there. The reason why we're, we're talking about um, theater in schools is because the La Jolla Playhouse has made this a priority since 1987 to bring theater to schools. But in the age of the pandemic things are a little different and today we are here to talk with Jacole Kitchen of La Jolla Playhouse about this year's pop tour. Jacole Kitchen is the director of arts engagement and in-house casting at La Jolla Playhouse. She also serves as the executive director for San Diego Performing Arts League. For Jacole's full bio check out the show notes at heyplaywright.com. Tori, today is uh, today's a little different, so we apologize to our listeners if the audio sounds a little um, 
strange. We are recording via Zoom. Our normal recording app is not working today. We're having some technical issues, but that will not stop us from having a great conversation today. Right, Tori? That's right. We are so grateful and excited to welcome Jacole Kitchen to the podcast. Here's my air horn. <laughs> oh, that doesn't sound like an air horn. I messed it up. Sorry. All right. <laughs> welcome, Jacole. Hello, welcome. I mean, hello. Thank you. It's so good to be here. Thank you for having me. Um, Thank you for welcoming me. <laughs> it feels like it's already been such an epic journey to get to this point, and yet we haven't even started yet. The technical difficulties were a little exhausting, but that's okay because now we're here, and 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 it's and this conversation is moving forward. So let Woo! us begin. Let us begin, Tori. Yes. So I, I just wanted to um, hop right in. First of all, I wanted to congratulate you on your new position at the Playhouse. I know you've been there for a while doing the casting, which is a, a huge job in and of itself. But now you are also the director of arts engagement, which is super exciting. This is especially something near and dear to my heart and to Mabel's heart. It's something that we are very passionate about. And so to have this conversation with you today is just is a gift. And um, I wanted to ask you to start off by asking, what is your mission in this role? That's a great question. I actually want to take it back a step because I think that people don't know this uh, because in my previous position at San Diego Rep, I was uh, the casting director and artistic associate. When I moved over to the Playhouse, originally casting was not part of what the job was. I was brought over as the um, artistic programs manager and I was uh, managing local partnerships with community members. Um, and it was really about arts engagement, the artistic programs manager. So I managed the artistic programs is what I like to say. Um, created, managed, produced various artistic partnerships. It wasn't until I had been there about a year or so and things started to shift. It was when the transition of Jaime Castaneda and Eric King Louie happened that there was some shifts within the department. Teresa Sapien, who was the Oh, golly, we've all had so many titles at the time, so I don't even remember. But she was shifting up into a more um, producerial role. And be, with me coming in with the casting background, it just made sense with all the shifting that was happening for her to move into more producing and new play development and me to take the, the casting arm since that's something that I had uh, experience doing. So it actually was only in, in the second half of my job that the casting got added back into it, but I love it. And I'm so glad that it did. Um, but as far as uh, my mission, I love that. What is my mission as the director of arts engagement and in-house casting? It really is a continuation of what my mission was when I first came to the Playhouse. And that's really about uh, connecting La Jolla Playhouse and the communities that exist within San Diego and making sure that what is happening in our audiences, on our plazas, and really in the casting part, part of it as well, uh, is really that, that what you are seeing when you come to the Playhouse is more reflective of what San Diego at large is. The, the, the diversity, the, the mix up of 
geographic areas. Um, really, my mission is to continue to expand who thinks of La Jolla Playhouse as a place for them. Mm. And then what steps then are, are you taking to do that, you know, with the, with the community? What does that look like? Yeah, there's a lot of different parts of it, but one of the way that we're really deepening the commitment is by creating the new department. So in addition to me being promoted, um, Bridget Caviolo, who was the interim, what was the, she was the interim director of what was the education and outreach department. Um, Bridget uh, very deservingly had the interim taken away. And really what has happened at La Jolla Playhouse is there is a merging and restructuring, reshaping, deepening commitment and authenticity to the community and what we're doing. And that's really why, we, so what has been created is instead of what existed as the education and outreach department, and then me doing our community engagement under the artistic arm, what has happened is under the umbrella of the artistic department is a new department that has been formed, which is the learning and engagement department. And so Bridget and I will be co-leading this department. She as the, learn the director of learning, me as the director of engagement. So already right there is what you're talking about as far as deepening that commitment. What does it look like? Because one of the things that we realized already is there was so much overlap in what we were doing. Me with the Veterans Playwriting Workshop, it is very much an overlap with the adult learning that is happening at, uh, in, in again, what was education and outreach. And, re and, and there was a moment where some of the administrative duties of that program, just it made sense for that to be under the umbrella, for Hannah, who was the uh, education outreach assistant at the time, for her to take on some of those duties because it was parallel to what she was doing. So it was like, yeah, that makes sense for me to do that for you. Sure, I can do that. And then realizing that so much of what they, again, this they, were doing is under the engagement arm. They are going into communities. Schools are some of our communities. And, um, and then within 2019, me becoming the director of uh, the, the pop tour, which was Light Years Away by Laura Shellhart. So now I'm transitioning into the pop tour, if you can't tell, but it's a natural <laughs> transition. So in 2019, I was brought on uh, to direct the pop tour, but that was also at a time where there was a transition happening in education and uh, outreach. Steve had just left and they were in the process of hiring. Julia Cuppy ended up being uh, promoted from within, but she was on maternity leave when she was promoted. Mm -hmm. And that is right when the pop tour was happening. And when the, actually the, the kind of pre-production stuff was happening when we were still in that interim. And then I want to say Julia came off of maternity leave when we were maybe in week two of rehearsal, I want to say somewhere in there maybe week one of rehearsal, but again, she's getting in her bearings of this brand new job. And um, so without me knowing what had happened was I became the producer of the pop tour because I was in the room, because I was there, I'm in the, I'm in the vicinity. So people could come to me and ask questions as the director, but it also led to me making producerial decisions because somebody needed to be communicating with the production department 
And then, so it just sort of naturally happened that I was the director producer of Pop Tour 2020, 2019. And so then by the time we came around to the Pop Tour, preparing for the Pop Tour 2020, Julia was a little bit, Julia was more established in the role. We're figuring out what kind of that looks like. But it seemed to make sense because it was a skill set that I had and a muscle she was still developing as far as the producerial end of it. And so it just really made sense for us to partner in producing the pop tour. So that just sort of remained part of my role as the artistic programs manager. And that's what just kept happening is I just kept you, you know, oh, hats, let's, here's another hat. Oh, Jacole, do you want to do casting? Absolutely. That sounds great. I love that hat. It looks really good on me. Hey, do you want to do the, produce the pop tour? And I'm like, yes, I love that hat. It's a different look, but yeah, we could do that. And so it's just, yes, it's, and so it just sort of became part of my job, which continued to just deepen this organic merging of engagement and education and outreach. So then when it became this idea of the full restructure, it really just made sense because there the overlap was already there. So really it looked, it's just something to spell. I don't know what it was. Um, we'll figure that out later. Um, but it really was just a continued commitment of, hey, this is already happening. You're both really good in these roles. It could only get better if we connect this and make it official and give you more money and a better title. And so I was like, yes, that hat looks very good on me. I will take that. Um, so I just keep trying out these different looks and I like it. Yeah, I just, I heard that yes and. Very much that improvisational background that you have. Yes. <laughs> yes, I can be an actor and yes, I'm a teacher and I'm an educator and I'm a this and I'm a that. <laughs> I swear that yes and is literally the reason that I am here right now. I, I say it to young people is just say yes to opportunity. Recognize an opportunity when it's been placed in front of you, even if it looks something different. I just was saying to somebody the other day, I graduated from college. I moved to LA thinking I was going to be a famous movie star. Like that's literally the path that I was on, but just these things kept popping up and I needed to keep busy and doing and creating and whatever. And I recognized opportunities and I said, yes, even when I actually didn't recognize opportunities, I was like, yes, and I can do that. So I truly believe that yes, and is the reason that I have had success. I keep saying if I wrote an autobiography, it would be called, sure, I guess, Tales <laughs> of a Reluctant Leader, because it's just like, yeah, sure, okay, I'll try that. Oh, you need to write that play, Jacole. <laughs> <laughs> For people who may not be familiar with this magical program, can you tell us what is the POP Tour? The POP Tour, uh, P-O-P, stands for Performance Outreach Program. And the POP Tour is has been part of La Jolla Playhouse's core for decades. I, I always get the exact number wrong, but I want to say from 25 years back from the Des Mackinac days, this has been something that we do. Every year, it is a uh, commissioned new play that is focused on real issues that young people are dealing with. Um, and then it, we create it and it tours to schools and community centers all around San Diego County. In previous years, when we have been able to tour, the, the pop tour reaches up to more than 20,000 students live and in person in San Diego County. It is geared, usually our target 
is third to sixth graders, but we perform for everything from K through six. Um, and a lot of times it is young people's first uh, exposure to live theater, first uh, time getting to see what this looks like. There's always a talk back that comes along with it so the students can ask questions about what it was that they saw, how things are working, get that curiosity about what this medium is, what this thing is that they just saw. The question, they always have questions about how things worked. Like there's so much magic to them and how things work. Um, it's a it's a bus and truck. To, when we get to tour, we'll get to the other side of that. It is a bus and truck tour. Um, and so the actors are also stage managers. They pack the set up in a 10 by 20 truck, get up at six in the morning. They drive the truck to the first school, unpack it, perform a show, pack it back up and go to the next school. Um, and so it's it's really, really an amazing thing. It's some of the hardest work you can ever do, TYA theater in general, some of the hardest work you can ever do as, as a performer. Um, but the reason that we are able to get um, artists to wake up at 5 a.m., to be able to meet the truck at six is because it's an extremely powerful and meaningful production, not just because it's giving students exposure to live theater, but because it gives them a chance to see themselves. It's always something, there's gonna be something in each brand new play that we do each year, that something that each student that is sitting there watching is gonna see or grab onto. And so it's, it's a really, really special experience. Gosh, that just gave me goosebumps. Ugh. Like, how do you guys pick a play or do you just like choose the playwright and say, hey, uh, let us give us something. How does that? How that's does exactly work? right. That's exactly right. We start with the playwright, and I will say that's one of the things that I I love about La Jolla Playhouse. It's it's just a beautiful way that they work. Is we really are artist driven, and we do we select the playwright who has um, background in TYA, somebody who understands and knows this world, um, and we just say, hey, what do you want to write? It, we, here's here's our parameters. Uh, it has to, it's about a forty minute play. Um, traditionally, it is a four-person play, four actors, um, and it really needs to address something that young people are, uh, are concerned with or are, are faced with in this current time, and that's, that's the parameters. And usually, because these are playwrights, um, who this is what they do, you know, when we come to them with, with that, they go, you know what I've been thinking about? And it's so exciting to, to already see those world. Like when we first talked to Idris, it wasn't exactly what we were doing. It wasn't exactly what we had, um, uh, what we ended up doing, but it was so close. He had this idea that he really, and it got shaped and it got moved, but it was, so, you know, that idea had already been bubbling. And so we give these playwrights an opportunity to, hey, here's some money to finish that idea you've been thinking about but let's put some, you know, let's put some shape to it. Oh, uh, for 2020, this is 21? This is 21, oh my God. For 2022, uh, we have um, commissioned a playwright, Cheryl West, who is the, oh my gosh, like if there is a cool counterpart to Idris Goodwin to come in and follow up at Cheryl West, I'm so excited to be working with her. And again, like just on our first call, that's, you know what I've been thinking about is this idea. And 
And it, and already it was such a fully formed and shaped idea that we're like, yes, yes, love that. Let How, how can we help you develop that? And then get to perform it for young people. Um, so it's just really an exciting process to be able to just be a part of bringing these ideas to life and, and, and letting them take shape. So I think that's a really good segue into talking about your relationship now with the current play um, for the pop tour, which is Idris Goodwin's Pick Me Last. Were you in on those initial conversations? I was, yes. Um, again, because the, I had by this time solidified, I had solidified myself as the um, co-producer of the pop tour. And I'll tell you, I love telling this story. And <laughs> sorry, I love telling this story, but I realize I've told it, I, I tell it all the time, like when I do these kinds of interviews. So I feel really bad for anybody who's heard um heard it multiple times. Um, if anybody who's seen I Heart Huckabees, I fear that I'm that character that just keeps spewing the same story over and over. Like, that's what just made me take pause. It's like, oh no, am I that character? Am I that guy? Is this my Shania Twain story? Um, but um, so we, so I did get to be a part of those initial conversations, you know, on the phone with, um, with Idris when he's starting to pitch the ideas and, and starting to send information over. And again, it was Julia Cuppy at the time who was the, uh, who was in the director position and, or the director of education and outreach. And so we get off this call and I'm like, man, that, it, whoo, that idea, that is great. And like the way he's talking about it and he sees kids and he spoke a word and the way that they, the way they interact on the program playground. And Idris is just so hip that it like brought out, made me feel hipper just talking to him. And I was like, yeah. So I'm on the, so we get off the call and I'm like, Julia, man, oh, I love this idea. I really, really feel like um, this needs uh, a director who has a background in spoken word. I really feel like like this, it needs it. If we're gonna have, you know, to really do justice to this piece. And I really feel like it, it should be a black female director. Like, I really, really feel like this needs um, a black woman director that has some background in spoken word. And you know, because things are gonna be so different, if she has a, a knowledge of the pop tour and kind of how the pop tour works, I, I really think that that would be ideal. Mm, where are we going to find that person? <laughs> and it was a few days later that she came to me and she said, you know, Nicole, I was thinking. And and I talked to uh, Chris and, and Eric and what about you directing the pop tour? <gasps> me? <laughs> well, I am spoken word and I am a black woman and I do know the <laughs> pop tour. What? That's a great idea. I, yes, I hadn't thought of that, but yes, yes. <laughs> yes, and. <laughs> yes, and. Now I want to be like Idris's local director. Like I want to direct anything that he ever brings to San Diego. Those are the, those are the seeds I'm trying to plant right now. Um, but yeah, so I did get to be a part of it from the very beginning and inserted myself as a director from <laughs> the very beginning. Um, so I really got to be a part of every part of shaping this piece, but also that ended up being such a wonderful blessing in so many ways because we had to shift everything about how we produce a pop tour this year. Um, I don't know if your listeners are aware, but there was a global pandemic that hit last year, COVID-19, and um, it shut down 
everything. Um, and you know, when it first hit, we were like, okay, I've, you know, again, we're like, this is gonna be a couple months. All right, let's let's figure this out. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Let's let's we'll figure this out. Yeah, we I'm we're, no schools are closed right now, but they're gonna open up again. We'll be able to tour. So that was kind of the thinking as we're going through the summer. All right, let's see what's happening with schools. Like, let's see, we might, uh, what does a shift look like? I don't know. Can we do it outside? Maybe, yeah, maybe we just do it outside. We, and, and the kids come outside and we might not be able to go inside of the, uh, the halls, but maybe we can do it outside. And then it's like, okay, no, there's gonna be no school in the fall. And finally, but, and so that actually, again, beautiful blessing, because then we had an answer. We cannot go into schools what do we do? And that's when we made the full shift to filming and streaming. Again, another thing I have to commend the Playhouse for with their commitment to this program in particular is with all of the conversations that were happening about shifting and closing and schools and what and how and who, there was never once that the conversation was, do we not do the pop tour? Mm. Never, not once with everything else being shut down, like everything, I mean, we all know everything shut down, but there was never a moment of, I, I think we can't do this. It was always this broadening of, oh, wait, we can maybe even reach more students if we're streaming. Okay, let's do this. And then shifting to the partnership, we partnered with um, a local film production company that is amazing, Blue Light Films. Um, and they worked with us on the filming side of it. We, so all of the shifts that were happening, but it actually ended up being great with me as the director because I'm in on it. I'm at the playhouse. So I'm in on all of the shifts. There's no waiting for answers. There's not this kind of outside entity. Um, and also, and the, uh, excuse me, our scenic designer, uh, Jonathan Gilmer, uh, is one of the the technical directors, assistant technical director, or TD, I think he is a full-on TD at La Jolla Playhouse. So again, our scenic designer is in-house on our production team. So he was able to shift with us as well. And the director's there. Asked, so it was just this beautiful in-house team. And that way, even when we first got into the room, it was just like, yes, we trusted and knew everybody. There wasn't any, not that directors are horrible people that want to change everything, but like everybody was under the, like we all knew the energy coming into the room. We all trusted each other coming into the room. It was the most beautiful spirit of collaboration that I have ever worked on, on a production. Um, our prop supervisor, our props master at La Jolla Playhouse, uh, Deb Hatch, she tells me, I have to keep quit saying this. Um, because like there's, as a director, you know, we, we direct that we pull it. We, we, that's my idea. Did you see that? I did that. No, did you see, that's brilliant, right? That piece right there. Yeah, that was me. I totally came up with that. And we look for those pieces in our plays. We, we do. I love it. I love, cause I'll, I'll do that to my friends. I'll be like, did you see that? You noticed that, right? Yep. That was me. And with this piece, I feel like I don't have that kind of ownership because it was such a spirit of collaboration. Everything that happened was something that somebody brought into the room and just an idea that they had. And you'll see when you see it, because also the most beautiful and most like frightening thing about um, the way that Idris writes is there's no punctuation, there's no stage directions, there's no like guidance on 
how you want this piece to run, what you see it looking like. It's spoken word, but you don't have any beats. You don't know what the rhythm that is in his mind is. And so it's just this blank canvas of words on a page. And he is wonderful and is just like, yeah, that's nah, whatever you want. How you want to do it? Whatever you want it to look like. How, how do you hear? What do you want? Yeah, I trust you. Everybody listen to Jacole. That's pressure. Um, and so, <laughs> but everybody came in with the spirit and what, what was originally this just blank canvas of a page became a musical production of an each spoken word piece having its own musical rhythm to it and literally live music because Deb Hatch, the first day of rehearsal was like, here's a bucket of instruments, whatever you wanna use. The set design, Jonathan Gilmer's set included um, what looks like stair steps, but each of those steps is a hexagon that becomes a cajon type drum. And so what do you get to do with that? We have these like, big organ kind of pipes that you can play with so everything in the set could be oh my gosh there's a big basketball hoop how could i forget there's a basketball hoop that's kind of the big centerpiece of it because this it, it all kind of takes place on the playground it's a very playgroundy sort of piece and so there's this basketball hoop that's a centerpiece of the the back and it's wind chimes instead of a net it's these amazing wind chimes so every so the set already had music um, built into it, literally built into it. And then Deb brings in this bucket of instruments. And so it literally was. And can I say the first week of rehearsal was on Zoom. And so the, I'm in the, the library. I'm in one of our small conference rooms at La Jolla Playhouse on Zoom with a model of the set. I want to be able to, I, I'm going to try and find some pictures I know that we can't share them with your audience, but I want you all to see some of the things that we were working with because uh, God bless Jonathan Gilmer's soul. He made me a model of the set so that the cast could at least still visualize what blocking would look like. Cause we have a week on zoom. We have to start oh staging. Yeah. And so how do you do that? So the first four days, it's literally this, the model of the set that I have the camera, my Zoom camera pointing toward, and I'm just looking for anything that I can possibly find. And the people, I'm moving little binder clips and, and Brad fasteners, and at one point, a little packet of hydrocortisone. And I'm like, this is Siobhan. And so where do you think you wanna be Siobhan? Okay, over here, okay. And Jonathan saw like what I was doing and he made me little paper doll figures for every character. And I think we realized there's something like 17 characters in this play because so many people were playing multiple characters. So it looks like a game of guess who. And so then I was able to like take the people and they could see what they look like and move them around the set. So the, the, the cast was able to get an idea of their blocking. So by the time we actually were in person, they knew where to go. We, we, tweaked a lot and it was like oh you know what that worked in paper doll world but that doesn't work in person how can we adjust that and so um we made those adjustments and shifted in the room but there were things that we had talked about there's this moment that there's this moment that there's a pop out of everybody again there's the set is transformative there's everything becomes kind of something else and so there's this moment where a character is, says something about, um, I just wanted to play Atari. 
And the whole, everybody in the cast goes, oh, what? I totally forgot that we staged that moment because I, anyway, it doesn't matter. I forgot we had staged that. I forgot we said we're going to have everybody do it instead of just one. But when we got to that, the first week of in-person rehearsal and everybody popped out and did it, I died because they remembered their blocking and I forgot we had even talked about doing that and it was hilarious and so again these just these shifts and 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 so again I'm in zoom and I'm showing them I have these instruments I got a horn you want a horn I got a symbol you want symbols I got a symbol here what do you what do you think your character would want sorry I just tried to swallow my hair for the the (laughs) listeners who don't see what's happening right now I get really excited and so by the time we got into the room, they were like, oh yeah, I feel like Freud has, I feel like that old timey horn is Freud. Yeah, I feel like that's Freud's sound. Or, hey, can I, ooh, can Elon Musk use the symbols here? That feels very Musk. And so we all, they, they were familiar with the textiles that they could use. It was just this crazy process, a full of collaboration and, and ingenuity and adaptiveness and yes andedness and, what was create? I, I was like, we made Hamilton, y'all. We made Hamilton. <laughs> <laughs> Hamilton. Um, but it's yeah, it's 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 amazing. Oh, what a great opportunity for the actors too to get to play yeah. with all of those different roles and with music. And then I, I I loved what you were saying about adaptability. Okay, we're just gonna yes and pandemic. No problem. <laughs> we're just gonna yeah. it all the way <laughs> Whatever you throw our way, we're gonna figure it out. Um, yeah. And how did was Idris a part of the the initial Zoom rehearsals, or how did the playwright factor into the process? In this case, normally with a pop tour, we would have the playwright come out and be with us uh, the first two days of rehearsal, first couple of days of table work, and then they would come back into the process with us uh, during the previews week just to see if um, there's, you know, any tweak. For this process, it was a little different because, again, we didn't have that travel. And so uh, the first week he would pop into rehearsal, he would pop into the Zoom room and kind of be there for us to ask questions to and be a part of the process. We always had a a zoom screen set up in the rehearsal hall so that if so we could still have an open rehearsal sort of feeling so we had a big tv screen where you could see you know the whole set and everything and you could see the movement so that he could pop in and see some of the things that we were doing but really he's just such a wonderful trusting playwright that he was just like i mean y'all at this point if you just have any questions just like text me just ask me like if you have any clarifying you know whatever and so that's, so it really, that relationship got in a lot of way turned over to our dramaturg, Maddie Williams, who is a PhD candidate at UCSD. And so she, we would in rehearsal would come up with things and we'd be like, you know what? That's an Idris question. That's a, I want to change this. Ooh, ooh, can we do this? Ooh, can I do this? Let's ask Idris. Let's ask Idris if he's cool with that. Cause it just means me tweaking this one little thing. And so she would put together a list and at the end of a rehearsal day would just send an email to Idris, CC the team and say, this is what we were thinking. Is this cool with you? Hey, is this word? We saw this. Is this a typo or is that intentional? And so we, those types of questions. But again, the piece was so well put together 
there wasn't a lot of those big notes, questions, cuts, you know, but we also had a lot of conversations with him pre-production leading up to it. So we were able to do some, some chip chopping. There were times that we would be on a Zoom call going through things and he would just make cuts as we talked. So he was definitely very involved, but I will say once we got into rehearsal, he was like, this is yours. It's, it's your play now. So what do you want to do with it? Ask me clarifying questions if you want. Mm, wow. Love that. Yeah. Uh, Mabel and I were talking about the script itself and um, the diamonds in the yeah. script. Yeah. So uh, when you sit down to read a play, especially one that you know you're going to direct, yeah. how do you approach it? Um, let's say, let's, let's talk about this play. Um, no. So uh, how do I approach it? I'll, I'll, I will answer the general question first. I am an extremely visual person. And so as I'm reading it, I'm seeing the people and here's actually, here's how I know, because also at the Playhouse, part of our job is, is reading new plays, you know, helping out Gabe Green is our director of new play development, excuse me, director of artistic development. And so he'll hand plays out to folks and be like, hey, will you read? Can I get some opinions on this? Hey, this is one that I think I'm interested. So anyway, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of reading and analysis in my job in general, um, but also as a director. And I can always tell if it's a play, I'm not gonna say a good play because everything about this is subjective. And so I'll say, I always know if it's a play that feels directable to me, whether it's for me or not for me, does this feel like a directable play? is if I can see it, mm. if I can visualize it as I'm reading, I can see these people moving, I can understand the world that is created, and I can see the people interacting, I, you know, but again, I, I, it's hard to articulate that, because I'm such a visual, it's so visual, I literally see it in my mind as I'm reading it, and so that's how, for me, that's how I know, um, I am also, but as far as like a play like this, because again, there were no stage directions. It's just written. It's, were, it's written somewhat in verse. It's actually a combination of, um, of dialogue and what we came to know was our spoken word moments. Um, and, and these different, so it's, uh, when I was reading this play, and again, the little, what you're talking about as far as those little diamonds, they're kind of, scene breaks but not scene breaks because there's also a continuation and so my job as a director is to figure out what's happening okay why are those there that is intentional anything a playwright puts on a page is intentional and so I thought why are those there what is happening and what I saw in those diamonds is a shift there's a, a, a shift of a world that's happening. And one of the coolest things about this, this piece is it sort of takes place inside Siobhan's mind and on the playground. And, and there's flashbacks and flash forwards and there's these fictional characters that are her sort of tour guides through life and navigating through, um, through issues and problem solving. And so, looking at those different whoosh moments that's how they I came to be no it's a whoosh there's a whoosh, there's a shift to something that's changing and so what is that whoosh and a lot of times it was oh this is real life to Siobhan's mind Siobhan is teaching us a lesson and now this is how she's gonna point it to it so 
it was being able to see those as, okay, so this is a world shift. So as a director, I need to create that world shift. How, what are we doing to make it clearer when we're in Siobhan's head and we, when we're in the real world? Again, thinking of these spoken word moments and the, I kept joking with folks saying, we're about to make a musical, y'all. We're about to make a musical. Um, but the reason that we need, and it ended up being Hamilton, which is great. Um, but no, the reason that I kept saying it needs to be a musical is because like in a traditional musical, the reason that the actors start singing is because it's the only way to express themselves in that moment. Talking is no longer going to do it. So it has to be this deeper, more meaningful way It just of storytelling. That's how the spoken word moments were in this piece for me. And so it was a matter of how do we make these feel seamless? How do we create a world where that doesn't feel like, wow, these kids just broke into spoken word that that's weird or but also making it clear that this is a genre that this is a thing that spoken word is a is a, a, a form of expression and one of the things that's always part of the process is we do a um we do a workshop months and months before we even go into rehearsal for the play we do a developmental workshop a playwright workshop and one of the things uh, we even got to do this via Zoom and we bring students in, we bring young people in to give us feedback so that we can kind of learn and grow from there. And so one of the things that we did with this piece or one of the questions that we asked the students is how was music used in this piece? And they sort of could understand because there was no you know actual instruments or anything in the reading. We were just working on, just have some rhythm, speak with some rhythm, whatever comes to you, you know, all of, thank God, all of the cast that we had for the reading had a background in spoken words. So they kind of understood that just sort of create rhythm. So, it was, you know, so it was super helpful. And, excuse me. And so the, the students kind of understood, oh, that's a thing that's, ha we, well, when they were, when they were talking, there was a sort of thing that was happening. And so it was like, okay, we need to make this very clear for them. How do we absolutely let this stand out as as a as a genre as an expression? Um, and so that's that was the other thing, kind of approaching this script of how do we uh, make that feel seamless and natural? And what we realized is what the way that it ended up being for this particular piece is that sort of spoken word, that sort of busting a beat, that's the language of play on this playground. And so it that's that's how they, you know, and, and so it, and it just happened organically. And so again, that's why it didn't feel strange when the beat started and all of it was created by the student. Like there's one um, team captain, Claire, <laughs> team captains, I can't wait. So there's the, um, they there's the, we called it, they look to me to choose and it's uh, team captains, Claire's anthem of, I'm a team captain. That's everything. They look to and they, they look to me to choose whether we win, whether we lose. And the way that it started, she starts the beat with bouncing the basketball rhythmically. Bump, bump, bump. They look to me to choose. And then the music starts behind her. Everybody else starts then just joining in. And so it's just this language that happens on the playground. And so it does feel natural. Oh, oh, that's how they play. 
Oh my gosh. Like just hearing you say that now I can visualize it. I can't wait to see it. Yeah. It's so fun. Oh, and those moments when that must, when that happened organically in rehearsal, it must've just been. So there was so many cool things about it because originally these moments and you can see as written that moment as written is a moment between Siobhan and team captain Claire. And when we were doing it on the, the Zoom with the paper dolls, it was just Claire and Siobhan and da 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 and then they had it. And then once we were in the room and I'm looking at this ensemble cast of seven that I have and a, a whole other story how we got into a seven person cast, but uh, it was actually all made up of the UCSD third year graduating MFAs. And that ended up being their residency production and the, that sort of bridge between now we're done with school and this is your first professional production. Like, again, there was just so much magic. So it was originally just the two of them. And then I'm looking at this beautiful ensemble cast and I'm going, wait, this moment is happening on the playground. There would be other kids on the playground. So, all right, let's just get other kids. Out. But then it was like, oh, that's who's making the music. So it's, so team captain Claire has the, they look to me to choose and then everybody just grabs an instrument and so now you just have this full like five person band of that's supporting behind her and again they created that i would be like somebody give me a beat what do we feel like the sound of this is somebody can, can somebody start a rhythm and it would just be and then they'd be like, okay, all right. So that, all right. So that's our baseline. That's our baseline. That's our baseline. All right. All right. Freud, Freud, what do you got? How are you going to support this? What you got? What you got? And then Freud would do a honk, 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 honk. All right. Cool. 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 Elon Musk. What you got? What you got? And it was just this. Um, and so we just created these sounds and each one has its own. And even the very last one where the new kid really has his moment where he's finally like, okay, can, okay. What is going on here? that ends up being a step battle because the student who plays the new kid knows how to step. And so it's like him stepping to these team captains and then them trying to like, I don't know, I can't start it. And so it just, be the, and so it becomes this like battle. It, so again, that freedom of just a blank page. Again, so the new kid, you two have read the script. Mm -hmm. So the new kid, bless his heart, the new kid cannot get a word in edgewise, right? And so, so many times when the new kid comes in, he comes in and it's like, hey, I'm new here. And it's like, hey, oh, hi, good to meet you. We're in the middle of something. And he's like, okay. And then he just leaves. And that happens like three or four times. So it would be very easy to say that new kid, it's, well, there's not much to that role until new kid really comes to life in the end. But this actor, Cornelius Franklin, he goes, can I do a flip here? And I'm like, um, are, are you comfortable doing a flip? And he's like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Can, can I just try something? And I'm like, yeah, try it. And so now in the play that you'll see, every time the new kid exits, every time there's one of those moments, he's like, okay. And then he does a flip off stage <laughs> of some sort. And so oh. like, even in the moment where he gets everybody's attention and he's like, hi, um, so what's the deal with like team captains? He's jumping off a platform at that point. He's like, hi, jumps off the platform. Okay, I have your attention now. And so again, it's just this, what do you bring to the table? Like, what is everyone bringing to the table? And how can we use that to create our playground?
it was, we had so much fun. It was freaking amazing. It's freaking amazing. Wow. It does sound magical. <laughs> it really is. It's, it's pure magic. Was this like one of the first times that people had come together to make theater like actually in person versus zoom or like what what do you think is yes you think that's the reason or might not be the reason. Well, there's like oh, many things going on many things many many things however again in the magic of what happened with this pop tour is these students were uh, they're not even students they are they are masters of their profession um they are young professionals but they had been a cohort for three years and they're a cohort that had been living on Zoom their final year of their MFA program. Mm -hmm. And so now getting them in person, they already know each other and are so comfortable playing. And so there wasn't that trepidation of anybody going in of, I'm afraid to try anything in front of these people. Is anybody in this group gonna judge me? They didn't have that with their castmates. And then uh, me and the first AD team uh, because it was filmed, we shift from a stage management team to an AD production management team. And we were, I mean, it, we created such an open, warm, loving, like, yes, let's try it. And so there was no barrier to creativity in that room. And so I think it was the combination of, of all of it. And just how happy everybody was to be back at work. Like everybody was just so glad to be doing what we do again. I love that everybody was able to transition and make it work and get this wonderful piece of art. And I'm wondering how you then get that reaction from the students, which is like, that's the, that's that final magical piece of live theater, right? That, that we've been doing a lot of zoom things as well, Mabel and I. So we know that you, you have people performing your work and it's so exciting, but you're not hearing any of the audience reaction. So mm -hmm. is there going to be an opportunity to, to capture some of that? Unfortunately, no. Once this is done, it is sort of a deliverable that's out of our hands and we just have to know that they will be enjoying it and know that these moments that we created are landing and are working. And this really was a hybrid production. And that's the thing is we keep, we kept uh, sort of reminding ourselves of that. that and, and sometimes it would be like, oh, this feels, this is a film. We're making a film. This isn't a theater piece. We're making a movie. And sometimes we'd be like, no, this is a film's piece of theater. We are making a piece of theater and they're filming it. And we are still giving students their first experience with theater and we're doing it. This is a theater piece. And it's both. It is 100% both. It is an absolute hybrid of these two mediums. And it was actually very interesting with the partnership with the film company and the theater piece, because, you know, we know how to make theater. It's what we do. We know how to make theater. They know how to make film. It's what they do. They know how to make film. The processes are a little bit different. And so there were times that we would want to insert our processes on the other's medium. And there just, there was a number of times where we each, where everybody just had to go, let people do what they know how to do. Mm -hmm. Like, trust us, Trust. Mm -hmm. we're, we're gonna get this done. But then we also had to be like, oh, oh, we, we have to trust you, you, you know, 
how to make a film and and the timelines and the what's and the da 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 da. And so it really was a true negotiation of art mediums as well and and how you how you create. Do you have dates, Nicole? Do we know? Uh, we're we're hoping to be able to release it as of I want to say May sixteenth. It should be available to release to to schools, educators, families, all of the things. Um, and the goal is to keep it streaming live through the end, not live, it's not live, streaming available through the end of the calendar year. Awesome. I have been talking it up, telling all of the educators that I know um, and people in Girl Scouts, I'm like, look, <laughs> you can have this in your classroom. Yeah. I hope they take you up on it. It's a, re it's, it's a really, really special piece. This could go national, international, like, wow, that's exactly. so exciting. Oh my yeah, goodness. It really, really is. We are very excited about the possibility of, of how far and wide. And especially again, that um, Idris lives in the education world in his uh, non-playwriting job. And he's very connected to different TYA, TYAUSA, different um, young people's arts organizations and so just even with him being able with it being him and being able to share that I think that the the reach is going very very far we are now at the at the point in our show when we do our asking for a friend so Tori Tori came up with it this week all right Jacole if you had the opportunity to work with a playwright living or dead in a collaboration to create a new play, who would it be and why? I feel like this is kind of a cheating cop-out answer, <laughs> but I want to say Idris Goodwin. Uh, because it, again, like this, his writing encompasses so many things that I am about, um, which is just kind of telling authentic diverse stories especially of black people and black kids um telling using spoken word as a as a medium of storytelling and art form and being able to to meld those worlds um just the excitement and just energy that he that he brings to a process um so i and and yeah again that spirit of trust and collaboration um, so I do feel like I'm cheating by giving that answer a little bit, but I, I, I would work with and collaborate with him again, any, on, on anything, any time of day. I don't think it's cheating. I don't think it's cheating. I don't okay, think good, it's thanks. cheating. We are, we are huge fans. <laughs> so, so Jacole, do you have a writing prompt to leave our listeners with? I do. I do. In the spirit of pick me last and the, uh, energy of this interview. The writing prompt is, what had happened on the playground was... Oh my God, I love it so much. <laughs> oh my goodness, that could go a lot of different ways. <laughs> yes, yes, it could. <laughs> okay, I, I just have to ask, Jacole, were you, were, you um, were you one of the kids that was picked first, or were you a, a picked in the middle, or were you a picked last kind of person okay here's the thing I was a very <laughs> tall child I'm six feet oh. tall um and so I was I've always been tall and so I would be picked early on I wouldn't be picked first but I'd usually get picked early and then people would be really disappointed to find out I have zero athletic prowess whatsoever 
And so by the time we got later in the school year or whatnot, I would get further and further down the list because people are realizing, oh, the inside and outside don't match. <laughs> Thus me becoming an artist. <laughs> I'm very short, so I was always picked last and, you know, like appropriately so. But I, I, I feel that those of us that were picked last, like that's a character building experience. So it's it is. And that was Wes's point where Siobhan is trying to put everything into motion to stop Wes from being picked last because she's afraid of how it's going to affect him in the long run. And Wes's point is whether you get picked first or last, like it's going to be a building it, either way. Like he's like, I just like to play. I just want to get in there, you know, and and that baffles Siobhan because she's she's sure she's sure that that's going to ruin his life. But he's like, nah, I'm not going to let it. I like that she has a teachable moment there too. You know, mm -hmm. that there is a way that her world is changed by the end of the play as well, mm -hmm. you know? And, and I think oh, and that's the, an important uh, lesson. Oh, go. And the way that moment is staged, it's so cute. Sorry, you just had me flash to this moment of, of the two of them on the stairs and she's really having a moment and he's really trying to teach her, but she doesn't get it in that moment. And so he just has to mm. let it play out. Oh, I can't wait for you to see it. It's so cool. Oh, I can't wait to see it. Actually, when we were filming, the sound people had to keep shushing me because you could hear me on the capture going, oh, it's so cute. They're so cute. They're like, <gasps> they did. They were like, Jacole, we might have to kick you out of the room. You may have to go next door and watch. Well, they had a whole separate room set up where we could watch through a monitor. And so that we could kind of see what was being framed, but it was really nice being in the room, but they they did threaten to have to put me in the monitor room if <laughs> I didn't learn how to stop. And laughing, I'm still laughing at the moments because it's so funny, it's so but they're hard. like, no, you can't do that. This is now filming. We are coming to the end of our conversation, but before we do that, so Jacole, what do you, I mean, we know what you have coming up, but what, what, what can you share with the world? What do we need to look out for? What do people, what do you want people to know? Um, a couple exciting things coming up. It's more uh, playhouse driven again with this merger of the um, learning and engagement departments, really excited about some of the community partnerships that are coming up again, deepening our commitment to uh, the Native American community continuing with a lot of our veterans programming, but then we are having a lot of conversations with uh, some of our community advocates. There's a group that we uh, have at the Playhouse called PLC, the Playhouse Leadership Council, and it is a group of volunteer theater advocates and community members um, who help us really shape a lot of the work that we're doing in our engagement and how we're talking about our programs. And we're in deep conversations with PLC about how to um, deepen commitments to a couple of new target communities. You know, a lot of times what happens is it's a grant that comes in and says, identify communities that you would like to work with. And then we go, okay, let's check, check, check. And then the grant ends and then what happens to that relationship with that community or what happens with the other community. So, all right, you check these three boxes for that grant, but how are you connecting to C, D, and E? Um, and so we are working in tandem with PLC to identify who are other communities that we should be partnering with that could benefit from uh, an artistic collaboration, but that also that we could benefit from um, and community engaging with 
in an authentic way. And so I would say that's what I'm really looking forward to. That's what's coming up is uh, discovering and deepening community partnerships and seeing what kind of programming, workshops, all of the things that we do can come out of that. That, that commitment from the Playhouse is fantastic. The, the last thing that I will say is a year plus into this pandemic shutdown, the Playhouse never stopped generating art. Mm -hmm. In some way, we never stopped connecting with our artist communities. We never stopped connecting with our local communities, with our local artists, with our extended family of artists, through our digital WOW programming, I wish I had numbers and statistics to be able to give to you of the number of artists that we were just able to keep working in some capacity, to keep being creative, to generate something, to give a little bit of purpose to even for a, a short time. And that includes staff. We have, we have been intact. I mean, obviously there's different ways that things, you know, we entered into a work share program. So not everybody was fully employed full time for the whole time. Every effort was made to keep the staff intact and to keep artists working. And that has been one of the reasons that I am so proud to be able to move into this leadership position at that organization. That is outstanding. And once again, congratulations on that. Congratulations on Pick Me Last. Oh my goodness, we're thank so you, thank excited. You. Ah! Nicole, thank you so much for sharing this space with us today and telling us about all of the programming. I wanted to mention too, I noticed that there's a ton of WOW programming that is available right now um, that you can just click and watch. Um, I, I'm looking forward to doing that. I discovered a lot of that this past week and went, oh my gosh, there is so much going on. So you are right. The Playhouse has continued to be busy, um, even in the face of this crazy time that we were in, in with this pandemic. So we are very much looking forward to Pick Me Last. And this was a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much for spending your time with us today. We appreciate it. Technical issues aside, you know, <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for having me and for bearing with me and all of my technical difficulties. But we got here, we made it happen and it was all worth the journey. Yes. Thank you, thank you. Wow. I really enjoyed hearing about the process of that play. Can and, you imagine the blocking oh with gosh. the little paper dolls? Oh, no. I love it. We've, we've said it before. We'll say it again, that artists are problem solvers. And sure it sounds like that creative team just really came together to, you know, any obstacle that came their way, they were pow, 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 pow. Love it. Yeah. Love, love the uh, And all the yes, all the yes hands. Yes hands, yes. <laughs> oh my gosh, what a wonderful episode. This is our penultimate episode. We have one more to go. I'm feeling optimistic right now. I, this is, we're coming to the end of our second season. We have learned so much and grown so much as podcasters and just really enjoy this process and playwrights all that to say thank you if you are listening we appreciate you um please follow us like us we're on all the socials and like us just like, like us, us. <laughs> validate us what you know all those things tattoo hey playwright on your person okay i thought you were gonna That's say something true. else <laughs> Don't tattoo me play right on yourself. That's weird.
That's creepy. You just gave me an idea. Are you going to tattoo? Yeah, no. I don't have any. Nope. Tori, don't do it. They're what? forever. They're forever. They're forever. Says the person with I know. tattoos. I know. I know. <laughs> what are you t- That's why I know. I speak from experience. They're forever. <laughs> when we go to Monroeville, <laughs> we can get matching A playwright tattoos. We should. But we have to find, you know, a reputable person. You can't just go to anybody, you can't right? Just go to a guy. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that's a good idea. And with that, we say bye for now. Bye until next week. It's gonna be a good one. It's gonna be a good one. <laughs>